Great to be here. We had an awesome trip. The staff, we went to Atlanta, and uh, we went to this conference called the Catalyst Conference, and there's 10,000 people, and it's supposed to be for people like leader, Christian leaders under 40, which made me a little angry, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, it was great. Uh, and uh, church leadership conference, a guy by the name of Andy Stanley kind of leads it, and uh, we, I feel like we were filled up with great um, leadership, inspirational talks, but uh, the team, and it was great. You, know, every, you ever go to a, like an offsite with your, your company and kind of get together, you get to see weird things about Morgan, and Morgan gets to see weird things about me. I don't know where he is. Uh, when, you, when you live together a little bit more, and, um, and so I just, yeah, I was very, um, very encouraged this week um, and uh, feel uh, just definitely, you, you get around 10,000 people in an in a, um, arena singing praises to God, and you feel like, man, this is awesome. These people are sold out for the Lord, and uh, yeah, just, just to be around that for a few days, I think, was good for the entire staff. So just wanted to share that. That was a great, great experience for us. Last week, we ended a hard stretch for our church because we dove into sin, and we talked about the sin of the prodigal in Romans 1. If you've ever left, if you will, you left the house and just lived a secular lifestyle for a while and just whatever you wanted to do, you did it. You know um, where that leads ultimately. Um, The fun that you can have and the pleasure that you can have, but uh, what is the point, right? What is the ultimate point? Um, One of the guys that was speaking this past week Forget his name, he wrote a book on uh, building water wells for, for uh, villages that don't have uh, running water. And he's raised $500 million for this, I forget his name. But um, he was, the, at 29 years old, he was the leading nightclub owner uh, or promoter in all of New York City. Making, you know, $30, 40 $50 million a year. And he found himself living it all, right? Just, just having whatever he wanted, whatever girl he wanted, whatever, you know, hedonistic desire. And he was doing lines of cocaine. And he just thought, this is it, right? This is it. This is, this is the end all be all. So you get to have whatever you want. And he just felt the emptiness of that. That's what Paul said. That's the emptiness of the prodigal. Yeah, you'll feel, it, you'll feel something. Those of you that uh, have numbed out, you want to go feel something for a weekend, you can do that. Tampa, Florida is well known for that. But the sin of that and the pain of that will lead you empty. The, the, the weird thing about it is that Paul then begins to talk about uh, not the prodigal, but the elder brother who stayed home and did all the right things. And he justified himself by his good behavior. And it, his sin was just as gross as the prodigal. And that's what was surprising. And so we talked about the depth of sin. And today we're going to pivot. Because the whole tone of Paul's letter to Rome changes here. There's this transition. Um, Because here's where we were left. We were left with, this is Romans 3.20. This is the last verse we read last week. Therefore, uh, kind of depressingly, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You can't. No, you will always mess up. You cannot, I mean, if you're the elder brother, the obedient one, the church person, you cannot measure up. Rather, through the law, if you want to know what the meaning of the law is, try to follow the Ten Commandments this week. You will be conscious of your sin because you realize that our hearts are sinful. Our behaviors are sinful, our inclinations, our feelings are sinful, and, and our thoughts are sinful. And so that's what the law does. So if you're trying to get it right, 
if you keep just trying to do the right thing on your own strength, you will just become more and more conscious of your sin. That's, that's what happens. And so that's where we're left, and that's pretty depressing, right? <laughs> um, so, peace be with you. He sings over you. Have a great week. Sorry. Um, so we're back here, though. And here's what Paul does, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, uh, from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. I'm going to stop right there because what he gives us is a big but. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Because it's a big transition. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. Here's what he's saying. He's like, there is a different way than trying to follow the law to receive righteousness. To receive your vindication. Because what is righteousness? I mean, what's your righteousness? Um... It's all you attempt to do to uh, vindicate your life. To have your life have meaning. To say, okay, this is my righteousness. This is what I do. I am, this is what, you know, I'm a great dad. That's going to vindicate my life. Or I'm a great mother. Or I'm a great worker. What is your righteousness? And lots of people have been trying to vindicate their life through behaving well. And he says, but now look, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So it's not fulfilling the law. What is it? This righteousness is given through faith. This vindication isn't through your behavior, but it's through faith. You know that sin that we've been talking about, how deep it goes Here's what the Lord knew, that you cannot vindicate, I cannot vindicate my life by living it perfectly, but the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's a different way, right? You have to have faith, and you cannot do it by works. And this, Paul says, Jews, Gentiles, Westtown Church, will change your life. If you really understand it, not if you just cognitively assent to it, right? If you just grasp a concept. No, no, no. I want you to understand it, to affectively, you know, hook onto it, uh, begin to obey it and follow it. It will ultimately change your life. The righteousness is given through faith. So, there was a speaker this week. His name was Devin Franklin. He was one of the senior um, guys in Sony Pictures. And he came to faith. And uh, he had, he had uh, started working on, um, he, was, he produced The Karate Kid with Jackie Chan and with Jaden Smith. And here's a producer who has just come to know the Lord and they're in Beijing, right? He's talking about being in Beijing and all he could think about was, I can't believe that I don't have to work my way to God, that, that I've been given the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ simply by faith. I mean, I can't believe it because I was absolutely locked up. And he wanted to live his life out. He, he, he was so excited about it, and it became the singular focus that during the filming of The Karate Kid in Beijing, China, he looks at Jackie Chan, and he looks at Jaden Smith, and it was a Saturday evening. And he goes, here's the, the, the way my Bible reads, is that on Sundays, we take a Sabbath. So maybe if you work on Sabbath, um, that's, that's, you know, what you, but I, I'm not going to work. I'm absolutely not going to work. And when he told that story and the reaction that he got, 
um, I thought, man, here's a guy, right? Here's a guy who um, was radically, radically saved. And he is finding himself completely in Jesus. Because if you just try to, what, fulfill the law, um, you, you will ultimately come to your own destruction. And the what of this passage is this, is that when God did not have to, God made a way for you and for me. Because what's the start of our story? The start of our story is a deal that God made with Adam and Eve. I will give you all of creation, the most beautiful you know, creation, will change your life, seas, oceans, whatever. And here you live in the Garden of Eden. Here's what I want you to do. Just don't eat from this one tree. That was the covenant of works, right? The first covenant. Just promise me you will not eat of this one tree. As long as you don't break that one stipulation, you will never ever sin. You will never ever deal with cancer. You will never ever die, right? I mean, death, disease, and sin would, 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 not, would cease to exist. And they did. And at that moment here, if God was just, he could have just ended the story. Like, ended the story of the world, if you will. But he didn't. And from Genesis chapter 3 to the Revelation 22, it's the unveiling of the what? That God made a way for you and for me. And maybe you're here this morning and you think, wait a second, you telling me that faith is the point? That faith in the work of Jesus is the point? And I would say, yes. I'm a dad now with someone who, with, with a daughter who is looking to apply uh, to colleges, which makes me feel weird inside in every way. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this whole idea, it would be as if, let's say the point would be to get into Harvard. That Harvard is your salvation. And here's the standard of Harvard. Perfect score in your verbal section. In the SAT, perfect score in your uh, written, which I'm terrible at. My wife is excellent. Perfect score in your community involvement. Right? Uh, perfect uh, school involvement. Right? I mean, everything's, the relationships have to be right. Everything has to be perfect. And that's what you're vying for. And you know that you blew it. Right? You know that, oh gosh, here's the standard for Harvard. It is perfection. And you got a 400 on your verbal. And you got a 400 on your, um, on your written or your, your English part. <laughs> yeah, that tells you how good I'm at that, right? And you're quasi involved in your community. And, you, you know, beans for orphans, you could take it or leave it, right? And you really aren't involved in anything. And you go ahead and you put your application into Harvard, right? You put it in. And it's in a stack. And somewhere along the line, when the admission director begins to look through there, you know, there was a mistake, let's say, and Jesus applied, right? And he was a perfect score. He was a perfect SAT, perfect verbal, perfect math, perfect involvement, perfect school involvement. He was, he was perfect in every way. And somehow, his name, the sticker, Jesus' sticker, the name, got placed on your application. And somehow, your sticker got placed on his application. And what Paul is trying to tell me and you is that when God the Father looked at our application, 
looked at our, hey, what we're doing, somehow Jesus in his grace said, you know what, go ahead. You take my application and you put your name on it. I want to give this to you. This is grace. But you have to believe, Jesus says, that everything on my application is true. That I did live a perfect life. That I did die on the cross. And I did defeat death on Easter Sunday. You have to believe that my application is true. And if you believe that, you know what you get? You get salvation. And you know what Jesus gets? Jesus gets what someone who applies and doesn't get in receives. Utter rejection. And you know what it's like to feel rejection? That's what he received. And so he gets the letter saying, we don't want you, right? You failed. And all of the, you know, the kind of the shame, right? The self-hate, whatever, came upon him. And what do you get? You get the scholarship dorm. You get a full ride, right? You get salvation, And that's what Paul is trying to tell these Jews. You have this application and it's horrible. And you're trying to get into Harvard. you got to be perfect. And here's the gift of Jesus. And he has given you his application, which is perfect. And you get in. You just what? The righteousness is given. You will be vindicated. Your application will be accepted. If what? If you just believe that Jesus... And his application, what he wrote, is true. If you do, you get it. Now, some of you don't like that. Some of us don't like, hey, that's too much charity. That's too much. I want to earn. But if you live life that way, you will, you will end up um, on a treadmill. You will end up and you think you're going somewhere and you will never get anywhere because the first three chapters literally undressed us as people. And, and as, as sad as we are right now, Paul is turning and pivoting here in, in uh, the end of chapter 3 saying, you know what the what is? God made a way. God made a way. Um, and that can change your life. Who needs to hear that? Who do you know right now? Maybe if it's not you, who do you know that's close to you that needs to hear? Hey, you can get off the treadmill. You can, you know... You can get over uh, a life that numbs, uh, a life of numbing through pills and, um, you know, endless drama to find some meaning or some feeling in life. You can get off uh, a sexualized life. You can get off a life of addiction to alcohol um, because we know that that's what you're living for. You can get through the day as long as you know you're getting that. And that's the way you've been for the past 10 years. And Paul knows that the church at Rome, because when in Rome you do as Romans do, right? There's a lot of them in there right now. Some Jews that are self-righteous and some Gentiles that have lived in La Vida Loca. They need, they need freedom. They need a way out. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus says, he says, look, Paul, Paul explains to the church at Corinth, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. The double exchange, right? You get all of Christ's works, and he gets all of your rejection. And he does that willingly. That is the way. So that's the what? God made a way. That's the point of the end of chapter 3. 
this will change, um, this will change lives. Um, with the guy who came out with the water, I forget his name, I'm frustrated. He wrote a book, great book called Thirst. Um, he came out with um, Tyler Perry, who has you know, done all these movies. And here's Tyler Perry, whose net worth is $650 million. And Tyler Perry's talking about how, you know, they were asking him some fun questions during this Q&A. And he was saying how, yeah, you know, God has given me, you know, he's, he's just gifted me, uh, you know, these blessings. And he's saying how he owns part of the Bahamas and crazy stuff like that. You're just like, okay. Um, but peppered in with every one of his answers, he would say things like this. But it's all perspective. Because you remember what Paul said to the church in Galatia. This is Tyler Perry. Remember what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians. Here's what Paul said to the church at Colossae. This is a guy who has everything. And what he told 10,000 people last week was, you know what? It ultimately amounts to nothing. There's no true meaning in that stuff because I have it. Oprah's my best friend. And hey, she's just a human, right? And we are all sinners in need of a savior. And I think sometimes you see celebrities and you see the money and you watch the television and you think, man, that, I mean, Christianity is nice, but really, if you had all of that, would you kind of let your faith drop by the wayside? If you had everything the world had to offer? And this, here's Tyler Perry saying, are you kidding me? I mean, here's what I am. I'm a boy who was beaten by his dad. And that formed me. And I needed a savior. And Jesus is my savior. To hear a guy who has everything claim the work of Jesus was awesome. So that's the what, that God made a way. That's the news. Next, uh, second half of verse 22. This righteousness that he was just talking about, remember, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Essentially, there's no difference between male and female. There's no difference between being 10 or being 50, being skinny or being heavy. There's no difference between being Chinese or Vietnamese or black or white or red. I mean, there's no difference. For all of us have sinned. Everyone in the history of mankind have sinned. Mary sinned. You know, the Pope sins, pastors sinned, Peter sinned, John sinned, Andrew sinned. I mean, all, all these all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. Why is that important? The glory of God's this. In the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant, a cherubim and seraphim. I'll show you a picture in a second. Come together. On top of the seat of the Ark of the Covenant, it's called the mercy seat. There was the presence of God. And basically, what Paul is referencing to the Jewish mind is you fall short of the glory of God because you know what? You can't even get into the Holy of Holies and be with God. You can't even be in the presence of God. You all fall short. You are not good enough. You are not obedient enough. And so we're all the same. But here's what's unbelievable. But as much as we have sinned and as much as we fall short... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified. We're vindicated. We have the righteousness of Christ through faith with him. Freely by the what? By the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Sometimes the Bible uses languages and and words that we kind of don't relate to. But the whole point of redemption was this. If you're a slave, 
you had to be redeemed. If you're a slave and someone bought you, the only way you could stop being a slave is whatever that price was, you had to have someone on the outside buy you or buy the debt off. And then you were redeemed. Or if you were in a crazy amount of debt, you became a slave. And until someone paid that debt, you could never be redeemed. And that redemption payment was called a ransom. That's what you paid to what? Get your freedom. And so what Paul is saying is like, look, you're justified, you're vindicated freely by his grace through the payment that Jesus paid for you to free you from being a slave to whatever it is that you're bringing into this room that you're a slave to. If you've been a slave, right? A slave to people's opinions of you. That you are just a slave to what your spouse says. That is, that is the aggregate sum total of my life is the gaze of my spouse, either my husband or my wife. That's where I live. I am chained to that. Whatever they think, if it's a good day, I'm feeling good about myself. It's a bad day, I'm feeling horrible about myself. You want out of that? Jesus is saying, I've redeemed you from that. Do you, you, you know that your sin, right, has been paid for? The debt you owe me that came by Christ Jesus has utterly been paid. There's people in this room I know that, you know, you're chained, you're prison, imprisoned, um, either by something that's happened to you or, hey, stuff you're doing that you feel like you have to do. And what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying to these indebted, imprisoned Jews and Gentiles, no, you have hope. Jesus has paid that debt. You are not guilty. And then, Verse 25. Because God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus was the blood sacrifice. What's the point of that? Okay, I want you to stay with me. I know this is a little bit in kind of Old Testament-y and it's deeper into the Bible, but just stay with me. Look at this picture. This is a cross-section of the tabernacle, okay? And so you would walk in, if you're one of the priests, you would walk in, and here's the first, the first area, it's called the holy place. There you see the menorah candle, you see the table of showbread, you see a brazen um, laver there where you, where you wash, right? You cleanse uh, your hands uh, to, to be clean, to come into the presence of God. Now there's another curtain there. And that's the curtain, the veil that separates, um, you know, God from man. That's, that's the distance because God is so holy, because God is so um, perfect, he can't even be in the presence of uncleanliness. And so here's what would happen. One day out of the year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, here's what um, God said, I want you to do um, to, to the, the high priest. I'm going to show you one other picture here. This is the Ark of the Covenant. There's cherubim and seraphim. The seat on which they, they kneel is called the bema or the mercy seat, the seat of the judge, right? And so once a year, here's what happens. The high priest, Aaron the high priest or Levitical high priest, whoever that was at the time, would walk in. And I'm going to read to you exactly what it says in the book of Leviticus. During Yom Kippur, 
He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover or on the, on the seat, on the bema seat. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness, cleanliness, and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. And so basically what would happen is payment had to be made for sin. And so God said in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you grace. You don't have to die. Your blood isn't going to be taken, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill animals. That will be the payment. So you can see that, hey, the penalty of your sin is real. I mean, we just got a dog, right? We got a a beeble named Coach who still poops a lot in the house. And he's he's a great dog. He's a fun dog. He's a warm dog. I can't even fathom taking an animal that I would know at some level, would experience with some consistency, taking that to the priest and saying, kill this animal because payment has to be made. Death has to come because of my sin. And that's the way it worked. And so then once the goat was killed, the priest would cover his hands in blood and go into the presence of God and do what? Sprinkle. He would sprinkle the ark. Why? What is that? It's a receipt. It's a receipt for God. Why? That showed God that you actually did um, pay, that a penalty was paid. Blood was shed because of your sin. And when, when Paul is trying to say, do you understand the penalty that should come to you, that has gone to animals and now has gone to Jesus? This is the second thing that they did. This is the last goat story I'll, I'll give you from Leviticus 16. This is just four verses later. So that's one goat during the Day of Atonement. Goat's dead. Second goat. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat, another goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. And here's the beauty, the beautiful thing. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. And the man shall release it into the wilderness. The sermon in that is, Westtown, let's put all of our sin onto this goat. You think it's in the room. And let's have this goat find its way out, out on the racetrack, all the way to Oldsmar, maybe up into Newport Ritchie, maybe up into Gainesville. And when it walks away, here's what it's saying. This is where we get the term, this is the scapegoat. This is the goat that takes away the sins of the world. Do you believe that the goat has left the building? I mean, for real, that your sins have been placed upon the scapegoat being Jesus and he was in your sins left. To me, understanding that, understanding that Christ took on my penalty, understanding that he became the scapegoat 
It was he was ostracized. He was away from his father for me. He was killed, but he was also made the scapegoat. The blame all went to him. Paul is saying, look, Jews, I know you know this story because you did Yom Kippur. Gentiles, I want to welcome you into this story because you don't know the Old Testament. And maybe you haven't read the Bible, and that's okay. But it's rooted in Old Testament Israel where Old Testament Israel becomes Westtown Church. We are the church in the New Testament. Israel was the church in the Old Testament. And so what? The way is, um, or the, the what is that God made a way. How? How does God make a way for me and for you? His death. His death is a ransom payment. And Paul is trying to say, it's not just a ransom payment. He hasn't just paid your debt. He's put upon himself uh, death that you, should, that you should receive. What does this do to you? Because Paul is trying to say, you don't even understand the levels at which Jesus was coming to say, Israel, in your sacrifices, Israel, in the way that you did the law, Israel, in the way that you had a tabernacle and 12 tribes, and I am now Israel with 12 disciples, and I'm going to not mess up. I'm going to do it right, and that's my gift to you. To me, the story of the world makes sense when Paul is trying to say, look, Christ's death is the ransom payment and atoning sacrifice. How do you deal with death? I know I talked about this six weeks ago, but when my nephew and my two nieces were here last weekend, and we're out on the bay, and I'm talking with my nephew, and he's got to reconcile this stuff. There's got to be true hope. Like, is the way for real? Is my dad who has faith in Jesus, is he really, is the penalty, is his sin really covered? Did Jesus really make this payment? Is he really the atoning sacrifice? Because when you're 16 and you don't have a dad anymore and you're trying to figure out, is there such thing really as eternal life? It's not just a camp thing that you do at church. Is this for real? That's what, and that's the way Paul wants us to read this. It's the how. Christ's death is the ransom payment and atoning sacrifice. Okay, last verses right here. The why. Why did, that shows how he did it. Why did he do it the way he did? Verse 25 here. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance or patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand Unpunished. In other words, he's saying the sins that were committed in the Old Testament really were not punished the way they should because the animals got the punishment. Full punishment had to come to a human. They were, they were not finished. The punishment wasn't finished. But God was kind to, to the Old Testament Israel. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be what? As to be just. Lots of people want God to be all loving. No, see, God has the law. He has standards. I mean, what would it mean if Harvard then said, oh, your application, you get this on your SAT score, you do this, here's what we're going to do. Lower our standards. What happens to Harvard? What happens to Harvard if you lower your standards and everybody gets in? Because that's what 
a lot of churches want to do. They don't want to talk about the law and the need for Jesus' sacrifice. They want to say he is all accepting. It does not matter, right? There are multiple ways to heaven. I mean, that's what the evangelical church, you know, kind of streamlined is doing. And when we see Jesus, he's like, no, no, no. Payment has to be made because you know what? God's character cannot change. The standard of Harvard cannot ever change. God, I'm not going to call something good evil and evil good. No, I'm not going to do that. Just payment has to be had. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what are we saying here? Jesus is the judge, right? And he is the justifier. He is the one. Let's just, God had to forgive without condoning. We have a God who's perfectly just and perfectly loving. And to stay true to who he was, God said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to stay just. And I'm going to take the, penalty, the just penalty that you should have. And I'm going to be forgiving and loving. And I'm going to give you my record. He stays true to who he is. He is equally just and equally loving. That's why Jesus had to do what he did. To demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those <clears throat> who have faith in Jesus. So where are you this morning? I know that this is dense. This is, these are some of like probably five or six of the most dense verses in all of the Bible and probably the most dense book in the Bible. And there's a lot of themes and I know if you've never read the Bible, this is a whole lot. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. And I apologize for that. But as a church, we made, we made the decision to go deeper and to say that, hey, we want scripture to inform us. And we believe that scripture is the thing that will change us. It is God. It's the breath of God. And that's why we're reading this. That's why we walk through verse by verse because I can't come up with a few illustrations or a few funny stories or some quips or principles about life and that won't do anything to you. But the word of God will change you. And so when you look at the layers of the cross, this isn't a top layer kind of presentation. I know that. This is like third, fourth, fifth layer presentation. He's saying, Westtown, can you, can you stop being a young church which is full of zest and life but and and focus on being a deeper church because that's what i think he wants for us is everything okay is the lord speaking yes lord i may wake where are you please make this personal the what the how and the why. Go back and read this. Go back and read it in a couple of different translations. Um, I've been, I've had like seven, eight commentaries out, and probably six, seven different translations of just these verses because it's so dense and I get that. But I think God is asking us as a church, can you grow in depth? Can you grow in your understanding of what the cross means to you? I think he wants that for us. I think he desires that for us. Um, and you are not alone. Being in a room with 10,000 other people, praising God, watching celebrities, uh, Tyler Perry, whoever, watching them just praise the Lord and just be a worshiper. I mean, that's beautiful. 
hearing stories about churches all over the United States, people that are sitting next to us telling us stories. Like, the church is alive. But we only get life when we understand the death of Jesus in the place of ours. That's what gives us life. So we're going to walk through this. And I know it's going to be a little dense, but I would encourage you, stick with us as we, as we journey through um, this dense but uh, beautifully uh, complex book, um, hopefully to, to change us as a church. So let's pray and ask God to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. God, uh, we're going to come here and we've heard the gospel um, through the, the Bible, the written word. We've heard it and now we want to see it in the sacrament here. And so um, maybe there's someone here who, um, God, they just need to um, let go of the control of their life. They need to understand that this is not about a religion, that this is simply a relationship with you. That that's the most important thing in our lives, is our relationship with you. And Father, empower us, equip us, assist us as a church to do that to the best of our ability. That we are here, God, to be the biggest encouragers of, of knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. And may even in this sacrament, and even walking up to make the public statement that we are believers and we will feed upon your body being broken and your blood being shed for us, that that is our hope. Will you, even in this moment, grow us in grace, God? Please do that. We thank you in your name. Amen.